Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. Fire has broken out at an apartment building in Vancouver's Marpole neighborhood, displacing dozens of residents. It broke out at a building on 72nd Avenue and Cartier Street this afternoon. Firefighters saw flames engulfing the four-story wooden frame apartment. Unfortunately, everyone made it out safely and there are no reports of injuries. But between 40 and 60 residents won't be able to return home for possibly quite some time. No word yet on a cause. Any faint hope that we might report, return to something called normal by this summer was effectively dashed today. The province's top doctor confirmed that several annual summertime attractions that tens of thousands look forward to, both as entertainment and employment, are not going to happen. The Celebration of Light and the PNE, two of the events cancelled as we all try to flatten the curve. Julia Foy begins our coverage. Yeah. P&E spokesperson Laura Balance could hardly contain the tears. It's very emotional for you. It is. It is. It's, it's very hard. I, there's so many families that depend on us. There is so many families that this is their end of summer ritual. The Pacific National Exhibition was gearing up to start hiring 9,500 workers in the countdown to the late August fair. There's a tremendous amount of um, young people who rely on us for their summer job or a first job. But the question of whether the home of the mini donuts, the super dogs and summer concerts would happen this year has been answered Saturday by BC's medical health officer. Realistically, uh, we will not be having those big events where people gather together this summer. And it's not just the P&E that will be affected. Henry says even with the progress BC has made in the COVID-19 pandemic, we are not going to be able to party like we used to. That is a, a, a much riskier prospect than ever before. We do not have enough herd immunity or community immunity to protect everybody and allow that type of event happen. A few hours after Henry's announcement, the Vancouver Pride Society dropped a press release which states it'll move to a virtual Pride celebration with a week of online interactive programming. The Honda Celebration of Light attracts tens of thousands of people to English Bay every summer. And although the organizers have not announced a cancellation, Henry's announcement may mean it will be shut down as well. As for the 110-year-old Peony Fair, Organizers are brainstorming to see if there could be some way to engage the public and keep the close of summer tradition alive. It is important to, to British Columbia that we have a place where we share a collective memory. Whether you've been coming for five generations, you came with your grandparents and now you come with your grandchildren, having that place is important. Julia Foy, Global News. We're all anxious to learn when we might see some restrictions eased. And despite more tragedy, today's new numbers are encouraging. Three more people, all in long-term care homes, have died from the infection, bringing the death toll to 81. 29 new cases have been detected for a total of 1,647. 115 people are in hospital, with 54 in ICU. While the new numbers indicate the curve continues to flatten, as Nadia Stewart reports, we're still a ways off from life as we knew it. The easing of restrictions when they come will be gradual and will be slow and thoughtful. Another reality check from Dr. Bonnie Henry about how soon life in BC will return to normal 
and what normal will look like. We're nearing maybe the end of our storm, but we're in that eye of the storm right now. We're not going to be taking any measures in the next two weeks, but we are planning. Planning for what will be a long easing out of the current restrictions. On Friday, the province released new and detailed models showing where B.C. is at relative to other provinces and countries. The number of cases and ICU admissions rate is far lower than other jurisdictions. We're seeing a slowing in the rate of new diagnoses, but the key here is why. Henry says it's because of public health action, not herd immunity, a message she wants the public to understand. The risk of a spike or another outbreak or more clusters in our community is something that's a very real concern for me, and we know it continues to happen. It's why health officials are signaling there cannot be an immediate return to the way things were pre-coronavirus. But the new normal will be more of a hybrid of eased restrictions, but with greater focus on health and hygiene and physical distance maintained. When we start to lift restrictions, we're going to be watching. And that watching period will be in two-week periods so that we make sure that we're not getting ahead of us and we don't start seeing rapid and explosive growth. At this point, the earliest we could begin to see a shift is mid-May. But Henry cautions there is a lot of planning to do between now and then to ensure the transition for schools, hospitals, businesses, everyone is as smooth and as safe as possible. Out of Stork Global News. And with more Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us. Keith, at today's update, Dr. Henry had some cautiously encouraging words for parents about school. Yes, the last couple of briefings, it's been interesting. Dr. Bonnie Henry's talked more in, more in more detail about the potential of reopening schools and bringing kids back in for classes. And again, uh, it was significant what she calls modifications. The social distancing rules would still have to be in place in schools. So she's talking about such things as much smaller class sizes, not all the kids being in the school at the same time. It's spread out over a longer period of the day. But she also, again, names that mid-May date as a best-case scenario for getting things back to almost normal in our school system. I absolutely think we'll, we'll have some children back in school um, this year, maybe, and it, but it may be modified. And I don't have the exact blueprint or answers yet. These are all of the things that the Ministry of Education, the superintendents are working out, um, depending on the system, depending on the size of the school. So there may be different strategies in different parts of the province. But um, we will be looking at how do we best support all children in their learning needs. And again, uh, mid-May is her, her best case scenario for getting the schools open. It's quite conceivable they don't open at all before the end of the school year. Teachers seem to have a mixed view of this, at least my correspondence on Twitter. There's a lot of anxiety over that prospect. But even if they do, when they do uh, open, if, if that's the open date in September, Colleen, Dr. Bonnie Henry's changes are still going to be in effect, and that's the social distancing changes. So our school system will look entirely different whenever it does open, because she says we're in this restricted mode with some modifications for at least an entire year. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. And we're holding another town hall with Dr. Henry and Health Minister Dix on Monday's News Hour, starting at 6.30. Email your COVID-19 questions to questions at globalnews.ca. The Interior Health Authority has issued a new directive because of an outbreak at an Alberta work camp. On April 15th, an outbreak of COVID-19 was reported at the Curl Lake Oil Sands Project north of Fort McMurray. So far, 12 people have, at the camp have tested positive. 
And now Interior Health is recommending two weeks quarantine for anyone who may have come into contact with anyone on that site. If these people are from Alberta, they are also asked to quarantine for two weeks since their last exposure before flying home to B.C. We do know that there have been some people who've returned home um, to British Columbia who were um, exposed potentially uh, in Alberta and vice versa, and they are being monitored, um, self-isolating, being monitored by public health. So um, that is part of our, our whole way we need to approach this. We can't stop all movement in our province. We need to have essential work done. Port Moody's Rocky Point boat launch is reopening tomorrow with restrictions after a temporary pandemic closure. The Rocky Point boat launch will be open by reservation only to Port Moody residents and current annual pass holders. It shut down earlier this month due to concerns over how users would stay two meters apart. Council is now testing the waters, so to speak, by allowing local boaters to use it with physical distancing rules. There will be staggered launch times and a maximum of 30 boats launching per day. If you're going out uh, on the water for recreation and you're staying with your family and you're, you're launching your boat, and you're keeping two meters away from others, uh, in my view, a boat ride is, is probably safer than a car ride. We don't want to uh, be doing any closures that are arbitrary, and it's not our intention to uh, to close things for the sake of closing things. If there's an issue, uh, if there are issues that can't be overcome with uh, the opening of the boat launch, uh, then we'll have to either restrict it or close it back down again. Starting Monday, supermarket retailer TNT says it will be taking customers' temperatures before they enter the store. The new rule applies to all TNT stores across the country. A company statement says this is being done in order to protect the health and safety of its employees and customers. Anyone with a fever is asked to stay home. Vancouver police are reminding the public that criminals aren't staying home during the pandemic. They arrested this suspect yesterday after he allegedly broke into two homes. One of his victims locked herself in a room and called 911 after hearing noises. VPD Deputy Chief Howard Chow tweeted that lots of jobs have slowed down right now, but not theirs. The force arrested and charged 40 suspects this week in a string of commercial break-and-enters. Since stores closed to limit the spread, break-ins have soared. Police say they've ramped up their patrols to target property crime offenders. The weather is helping crews battling a wildfire near Squamish. The McGee Road fire is now 50% contained thanks to cooler conditions, but it will take at least a couple more days to get it fully under control. Paul Johnson has more from Squamish. The McGee Road fire is still technically classified as out of control, though it's not growing anymore. And over the course of the day, they were able to bring their containment figure up from about 35% in the morning to about 50% by late afternoon. And the size of the fire is now about 200 hectares. They're continuing to use both helicopters and ground crews to fight this fire, which we're told has now burned or destroyed a small handful of homes and structures. They've had to evacuate about 120 people from this neighborhood. The RCMP still have a checkpoint up on Squamish Valley Road, and they're not letting anybody pass unless it's residents who can show their ID, and then they can go in for a trip. 
I spoke with one of the firefighters working on the fire today who told me they're really not accustomed to seeing a fire like this this time of year. In fact, it's not even technically wildfire season yet, but it's been exceptionally dry up here in Sea to Sky Country, though the weather has been changing in their favor the past couple of days. Here's the Coastal Fire Center. So it's been uh, really helpful that the weather has been so consistent the last few days. Uh, it's been very favorable for crews, and um, it's been cool and good for them to be able to work in this weather. And the fire is burning a rank one, and so they're able to get in there and just do some very good work on that fire. And firefighters say they expect they've still got at least a couple of more days of work ahead of them to get this fully contained. We're told this fire was human-caused. It started as a controlled burn that got out of control when the wind hit it. Back to you. Thanks, Paul. Police, as well as the BC Wildfire Service, are reminding people that Paradise Valley and Squamish Valley are closed. It's only open to local and essential traffic. Despite warnings against doing so, authorities are seeing too many people heading to the region. They're telling everyone to stay home. BC's craft booze industry was really taking off. And then the pandemic hit, forcing tasting rooms across the province to shut down. Social distancing means it'll take some time for these small businesses to recover, if at all. So now, as Kristen Robinson reports, a campaign has been launched to help your favorite craft brewery, distillery and winery survive. Before COVID-19, off-the-rail brewing was on a roll. Now its tasting room taps are idle, the growlers empty. Since the pandemic, we've probably um, probably lost a minimum of 50% of our business due to licensees closing, which are bars and restaurants. The East Vancouver Craft Brewhouse forced to lay off staff and shift to takeout and delivery. Packaged product now filling up its brewery. We were hit first. We were hit hardest, and we think we'll be probably the slowest to recover because of social distancing. With close to 200 tasting rooms immediately closed, 80% of the province's craft beer workforce of 4,500 is laid off. The BC Craft Brewers Guild now asking for your support to survive. It's really important now more than ever that when you spend your dollars to spend them locally. Anyone purchasing beer, cider, wine or distilled spirits will soon see a Time to Buy BC logo flagging local booze. But more than that, also the farmers that are growing the ingredients and then also the distribution networks and people who work on the artwork. So really when you buy BC, you're supporting the people of BC. Are you buying something that's supporting BC jobs and will continue to support BC jobs? That's the message we're trying to get out. I think it's been important all along, uh, even more important now. So your favorite craft brewery and its team will be back to work when the curve flattens. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A happy update to a salty crime we first reported a few days ago. Poppy, the giant bag of popcorn, has been found. Poppy is the summer movie night mascot for the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. It was looted from a storage locker sometime on Wednesday. Vancouver police have since found and returned the mascot to the association. Its giant shoes and white gloves, however, are still missing. 
Many of the COVID-19 cases in Canada have come from those returning from the U.S. It has more confirmed cases and deaths from COVID-19 than any other country in the world. More than 730,000 Americans have tested positive for the virus. At least 38,000 have died. Despite the worsening situation, many Americans are desperate to get back to normal life. And as Jennifer Johnson explains, today hundreds of them took to the streets. Protesters circling the state capitol and governor's mansion in Annapolis, Maryland. Joining a growing chorus of angry Americans desperate to get back to work. But in hard-hit New York, this governor, like many others, is torn between protecting his citizens and protecting his economy. Nobody wants to reopen more than me. Nobody wants to get the economy going more than me. Health officials warning there may be enough COVID-19 tests for the beginning phase of President Donald Trump's three-part plan to reopen businesses and restore the economy, but not beyond that. If these things are done correctly, what I believe they can, we will have and there will be enough tests to allow us to take this country safely through phase one. A risky move as many states are still seeing a rise in cases. Nursing homes are being overrun. So many health care workers and patients getting sick, the National Guard has been called in to help. Nearly half of the centers are reporting staffing shortages. We need the protective gear that we should have to take care of these residents. We have children. We have, we have our own family to go home to. The economic toll from COVID-19 is also harming millions. Food banks are running out of supplies. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is now rolling out a $19 billion relief program, buying food from farmers and getting it to food banks. This program means that we get to eat today. The nation's food supply is dwindling as meat, poultry and pork processing plants have shut down in South Dakota, Iowa, Colorado and other states because so many workers have been infected. Annie Grant died of the virus after working at this Georgia food processing plant. She had been on the packing line for nearly 15 years. She said, baby, um, they're telling us if we don't come, we don't get paid or we risk getting fired. And, and she had to go. The threat of the virus versus the threat of being unemployed. Bills are piling up. America caught in the crosshairs of a pandemic and an economic crisis and no immediate cure for either. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. People in Jacksonville, Florida, are once again heading to the shores as beaches were reopened on Friday. Beaches are operating in a limited capacity and with restrictions. They'll be open every morning from 6 until 11 o'clock and each evening from 5 until 8. Law enforcement agencies and other groups will work together to enforce the rules. And while those beaches reopen, Hawaii's governor ordered all beaches closed. People cannot sit, stand or lay out on the beach. People are still allowed to surf, kayak and swim in the ocean as long as they practice social distancing. Anyone who violates the rules could face a $5,000 fine. Meanwhile, in this country, more than 1,400 people have died from COVID-19, with confirmed cases now surpassing 33,000. As pressure mounts to reopen our economy, our prime minister is holding the line at home and with the U.S. Here's Global's Mike Drolet. If there's any pressure from the U.S. to begin relaxing social distancing conditions here in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau does not appear to be receptive. At his daily press conference with reporters in Ottawa today, Trudeau rebuffed the suggestion from Donald Trump that restrictions along the U.S. border will soon be eased, saying we're still a long ways off. Trudeau also addressed the Aboriginal community, pledging $306 million for Indigenous businesses, some in the form of interest-free loans 
to be administered by the National Aboriginal Capital Corporations Association. And with shortages in masks and gloves for frontline workers being reported across the country, Trudeau announced new shipments have arrived. Two planes full of N95 masks and coveralls arrived in Canada. More shipments will be coming in this week, coming in this weekend and into next week with additional medical supplies. I can also announce that we will begin receiving deliveries of face shields from Toronto Stamp very soon. They've shifted from their usual production of rubber stamps and ID badges and will be providing millions of face shields over the next two months. All this would normally be discussed when Parliament resumes on Monday, but Trudeau says, I think we can all recognize that would be a mistake. He'd prefer weekly sessions and is negotiating with the opposition parties to try to make that happen. Back to you. One country is betting that not locking down could be the right way to go in the long run. Unlike almost every other country in the world, Sweden has not told its citizens they must stay away from each other. As you're about to see, the risky experiment has its benefits and its deadly drawbacks. Crisis? What crisis? In Sweden, things look almost normal. Crowded cafes, restaurants full, playgrounds and streets too. Sweden's government didn't order a lockdown, preferring a light touch of advising people to socially distance. I think it's good, and it's been good. I feel safe. Sweden is gambling on allowing a slow spread of the virus and more early deaths to avoid future deadly spikes. Other countries are locking down, but in that case, they will probably see a second wave and a third wave. If we did follow that approach, I think we might have two million people dead. President Trump says Sweden's goal is herd immunity and it's suffering. Sweden denies that and says it's being sensible. It is a myth that life goes on as normal in Sweden. But infections in Sweden are rising and its death rate is now far higher than its neighbours. 150 deaths for every million people compared to 60 deaths a million in Denmark, 30 in Norway, 16 in Finland. Many are horrified at Sweden's gamble. I'm a scientist. I don't trust authorities. I trust data. For Americans living in Sweden, these are nervous times. I think I'd rather be in Stockholm than New York City. It makes me feel kind of scared sometimes because I know that my parents are super worried. Sweden's prime minister says thousands will die so it's building field hospitals. Sweden and all of us are living in a huge high-risk experiment. We won't know for months, maybe years, which approach was right, lockdown or liberty. For now, Sweden, unique in Europe, is confident its death rate is peaking. Millions are trusting its gamble pays off. Bill Neely, NBC News, London. In health matters, Chinese state-run television reports that health officials in Wuhan, China, tested a random sample of people for COVID-19, and they found just 0.07% tested positive. The samples were taken from people without apparent symptoms, including volunteers and employees of companies reopening. They reported a total of 275,400 tests were carried out in the city from April 8th to 15th in order to evaluate the scale of asymptomatic infections. 182 asymptomatic cases were identified. 
China reported 27 new case COVID-19 cases today, many of them travelers, as it tried to stem an upsurge of infection in a northeastern province bordering Russia. China's death toll now stands at more than 4,600 people. Health experts had feared China was underreporting cases of COVID-19, but Beijing claims there is no cover-up. We have an update on some breaking news. More than two dozen Vancouver apartment suites have been damaged by a fire in Marple. Oh, my God. Now, the call came in early this afternoon as a grass fire in a back alley. But when firefighters arrived, they saw flames and smoke spreading up the side of the four-story wood frame building near East 72nd Avenue and Cartier Street. No one was hurt, but 40 to 60 tenants are out of their homes. At least eight units were fully in fully gutted. Firefighters admit physical distancing made this a difficult battle. We, originally on scene, you have so many people, especially when it's a sunny day like this. We, you know, we, we've got, you know, 20 or 40 to 60 displaced tenants, plus you got everyone using the park. Everyone gets in quite tight. Everyone gets anxious um, with the fire crews on getting in and getting their personal belongings and, and all that kind of matter. So it was, uh, it was a bit of a battle for fire crews at first just to keep people away, just so we could get in and do our job. An entertainment event like no other in the history of our planet will air tonight. How and why this special show is happening. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, not a bad day today. Had its moments? Yeah, it had its moments. Uh, we'll see that once again for tomorrow. We actually had a bit of a sprinkle last night. A trace of rain reported out of the airport. And now we're at the fourth driest April. And I'll have more on that in just a moment. Here's a quick glance at what it looks like on our tower cam right now. We're sitting at 15 degrees. We do have a southerly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. Highs today did bump up closer to 14 or 15 or away from the water closer to 20 degrees. A few photos to share. This was a great shot that was captured in Maple Bay. Kirsty taking a photo of her husband on the water and Gibson Ed catching this one as well with a little dog on the paddleboard out there. A stunning shot that was taken in Powell River. So thank you so much, Susie and the ominous clouds and a Soyuz captured by Emma. So thank you so much for those fantastic photos. A quick look at the numbers for precipitation for the month of April so far. So last night it was very late, but we did have a trace of rainfall. We've had two days with rain. So that will take us now to the fourth driest on record. Typically, we get up to 50 millimeters for the entire month. So far, we've had 2.4 and we've had two days of rain. The average sits at eight. So a look at some of the numbers and the record dry that we've had. The first go first place goes to uh, 1915. It was a stretch in April and they had 15 days without rain. We were close to that. We got up to 12, but it looks like we'll be tied for the fourth driest on record. All right, this evening, it is going to remain dry. We do have more cloud cover that is going to roll in tomorrow morning. A very slight chance to see an isolated shower. Eastern areas and stretching to the Fraser Valley will see some showers for the morning and then a clearing towards the afternoon. It is going to brighten up very similar to what we saw today. Temperatures anywhere between 16 and the way from the water will get up to 19 or 20 degrees. A ridge of high pressure, that's been the dominant feature. It remains in place. We'll continue to see sunshine as a result. It'll build in quite strong into early next week. But there is a blip in the forecast and a change on the way. It'll be late Tuesday and leading into Wednesday. Across the south coast, we'll start to see some rain moving in. The heaviest and wettest day so far, likely on Wednesday, and it'll be quite similar for many areas into the southern interior. 
The northern half of the province, it is a touch cooler if you're by the water, up to 11 for Prince Rupert. Inland, up to 20 degrees for areas near Terrace. Plenty of sunshine for the northeastern corners of the province. A similar weather picture right across the central half. For the southern interior tomorrow, it's a partly cloudy sky, bumping up to 21 degrees, so the low 20s for areas near Kamloops. Whistler tomorrow will still see more cloud cover for the morning hours, and then it does start to ease off towards the afternoon. All areas across the south coast, so a heads up. Tomorrow morning, there is some cloud cover, a slight chance to see an isolated shower. Areas towards the east and stretching into the Fraser Valley, showers and then a clearing. It'll be dry towards the afternoon. Long-range forecasts, we are going to see a fantastic day on Monday. Areas away from the water, still getting up to 20 degrees. Change on the way. It'll be a touch cooler as we get in towards our Tuesday. And we are looking at rain moving in. It'll likely be late Tuesday and then a soggy one for a Wednesday. For tomorrow, though, a clearing on the way and high up to 16. Colleen? Well, we need the rain, so. All right. Thanks so much. The pandemic means popular Visaki parades aren't happening this year. Vancouver's event scheduled for today was canceled along with Surrey celebration next weekend. That parade is often the largest outside of India. But as Sonia Deal reports, the Sikh community is coming together to give back by staying apart. The celebration of Vaisakhi is the most significant time in the Sikh community's religious calendar. But the parades that bring so much food, music and colour to the streets of Vancouver and Surrey cancelled this year because of COVID-19. We do feel a sense of loss. Families look at this time to get together, to serve in this uh, spirit of, of love and to share with, with the wider community. Not being out there physically, it's, uh, it's a, it has a real impact. But this is a community that's turning a pandemic into an opportunity. They say there's never been a better time to put the values of their faith into practice. A tenant of our religion is giving back and helping everyone. A collective of Sikh faith-based organizations and gurdwaras coming together under the name Virtual Vasaki. Usually we are spiritually connecting and thinking about what our values are. We actually get to put it into action this year. In just one week alone, volunteers have served up and delivered 25,000 meals to frontline workers and the homeless, as well as women in shelters and seniors. Thank you. This year, it's actually, you know, the service of humanity is even more important. It does bring you into that positive mind space when you see the community uh, standing up and, and doing their service. But going to their local Gurdwara and connecting through prayer is also something that's hugely significant to Sikhs at Vasaki. COVID-19 restrictions leading to prayer services now being held online. These virtual environments in these virtual settings are important for all faiths, not only just the Sikh faith, so that we don't lose that human touch. A community that's going to miss the Vasaki parades in Vancouver and Surrey this weekend and next for sure, but one that's also grateful to all those keeping British Columbians safe. Thanks to our frontliners. If frontliners stay home, then we all in the trouble. There is hope and we're all in it together and we're all going to get through this together. Sonia Deol, Global News. All right, Barry is here with a look at sports. And Barry, uh, it appears the closure of the U.S. border to Canada, a bit of a problem for some. 
Yeah, it's going to be for a lot of uh, football players, especially in the CFL, trying to get back here. Of course, they'd have to quarantine for a couple of weeks, so they're going to need some notice uh, when that season starts. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, Lions quarterback Mike Riley would normally be in Vancouver right now, working out and throwing to receivers in preparation for next month's CFL training camp. But as we know, things ain't normal. Riley is waiting out things in his home state of Washington, which, of course, has been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, um, you know, it was late February, early March when we really started to see our first cases. Um, you know, and at that time, I think everybody kind of knew what the coronavirus was. You know, they'd heard about what was going on in China and things like that, but it hadn't hit home. It's hit home hard for Mike Riley because his home is Seattle, where Washington State currently has over 11,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and a coronavirus death toll of 603. And I think with our state being hit so early on, um, you know, we've flattened our curve, as they say, and done a pretty good job with the social distancing and, and things haven't really seemed, um, you haven't heard the panic on the local news about running out of ventilators and things like that for a couple of weeks. So it, it seems like we're kind of out of the worst of it, but obviously you never know. Nor do we know when Riley and the BC Lions will return to the field. The CFL is hoping for a late summer start, but as we all know, everything remains up in the air as far as professional sports. What we do know is Mike's healthy after breaking his wrist the last time he played a game. Yeah, I mean, it's good to go. I got, I got a nice uh, scar that my daughter uh, likes to, to remind me of every time we watch Lion King, Uncle Scar. She's like, Daddy, it's like your scar, but he's a bad scar. So uh, she reminds me of it all the time. But uh, outside of that, it's, it's been great. I mean, it was like, I think it was 10 days after the surgery that they took the splint off and told me to start using it normally. Um, I, was, I was very skeptical of that, but, uh, um, but I haven't had any issues since then. And uh, training before things shut down, training was on schedule as per normal. Now, uh, obviously, things have changed a little bit, but um, you know, what I'm able to do, uh, you know, the wrist and everything else is, is holding up just fine. Hopefully we can get back to it, um, you know, and in, in this day and age when we haven't had a sense of normalcy, I think people... Uh, utilize sports, uh, watching sports, cheering for their teams as a, as a way to kind of get back to normal. So hopefully we're able to provide something like that. What a remarkable touchdown. Just another day at the office. While we go from seasoned veteran to raw rookie, newly signed running back Andrew Pokernick is hoping to join Riley at Lions training camp sooner rather than later. Pokernick is also out of town. He's in his hometown of Saskatoon. He was in Vancouver, but once the gyms were closed, he headed back to the frozen tundra of Saskatchewan to continue his workouts. This is where Andrew Pokernick begins his day, isolated in his newly converted weight room in his hometown of Saskatoon. Pokernick's doing his best to stay fit while he awaits word when his first CFL training camp will begin. Pokernick signed as a free agent with the Lions this past December. I always set my goal high and it was to play pro one day and it took yeah, a lot of setbacks. Uh, comebacks, everything, a lot of adversity I dealt with. So finally to put pen to paper is just something I've been longing for. Andrew Pokernick is off to the races once again. 
Pokernick signed the deal because the Lions had a close-up view of his record-breaking 2019 season with the Langley Rams junior football team. Pokernick obliterated the record books with 27 touchdowns in just 10 games. He had 1,200 rushing yards, nearly 1,450 all-purpose yards. It all came together after two frustrating seasons in Kamloops, but he never lost faith in his abilities, even when others did. Even when I was younger, it started with, oh, maybe running back's not for you, this and that, maybe you're too slow, maybe this. Then I always just bet on myself, and it took me into multiple opportunities. I met a lot of people through it, and finally it paid off, and it was nice to know that, yeah, me betting on myself finally rewarded me in the end. The Lions have had success with junior football stars in the past. Andrew Harris played six seasons in B.C. and is the best back in the CFL right now. Pokernick just broke some of his junior records this past season. Obviously, people, it was hard not to have comparisons. And just to even be in the same context or discussion as that guy is an honor in itself. And hopefully I can keep those comparisons coming. Pokernick begins his CFL career under unique circumstances. In all likelihood, it'll be a shortened training camp and regular season. Maybe not the best conditions for a rookie trying to break into the pros. A shorter season might might not benefit me with training camps being shorter and stuff, but that just affects everyone the same way. So I'm not really trying to focus too much on it and just focus on what I can do and what's in my control. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between football player biceps and sportscaster biceps. But he, he learned that workout from you. I know that. <laughs> well, I'm the before, he's the after. So. Right. Okay, the gang's all here, and it is time for our nightly thank you to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who's being honored tonight? Colleen, tonight we are honoring Audrey Blake. Audrey is a clinical nurse educator for maternity at the University Hospital of Northern BC in Prince George. She is currently providing personal protective equipment training to staff and working on operational flow policy and procedures relating to obstetrical patients in COVID-19. So thank you, Audrey, and your team for all you do. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few photos to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your heroes. So thank you. And I love that. I beg you, please stay home. That's a sign for everyone, right? Yes. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, an idea has taken off in Edmonton and one that probably could catch on here. It involves ordering food from a drive through while keeping our social distance. Global's Morgan Black shows us a very Canadian way to pay and pay it forward. It's a truly Canadian solution to a problem. Depending on where the customer parks at the window, both parties are reaching. You can have the drive through person going through the window trying to get the debit machine to the customer. The idea came from an Ontario Harvey's owner who grabbed his own Bauer hockey stick to help increase physical distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. The move caught the attention of the company. They've already stepped up and are helping out a lot of our uh, frontline workers with the shields by changing their manufacturing process. Uh, they stepped up again and donated hockey sticks to all the Harveys in uh, Canada. Canadians everywhere are cracking a smile at the drive-thru. I was told for yesterday for every car that came through that was given the hockey stick, they were getting a lot of positive uh, reaction that it's cool. I watched it on the news one day and I think it's a great idea. 
There's also real change being made from every drive-through purchase. Up to $50,000 will be donated to food banks across Canada, seeing an influx in first-time customers. We're having to provide for those people now that we never had to before, in addition to those who've come to us in the past. Big companies and big stars have reached out to help. Ryan Reynolds donated $4,000 to the food bank earlier this month. It's absolutely incredible when people like Ryan Reynolds will, obviously the donation is huge. The monetary donation makes such an impact. But just getting the word out so that people realize what we're doing. A reminder that Canadians near or far come together in challenging times. It's not always going to be a, a good day because of what's going on, but something like this can definitely just bring a quick smile to their face and maybe perk them up for, a, for the rest of their day. Morgan Black, Global News. Okay, what do you guys think of that? Barry? you got to watch your stick. You're in control of your stick. If, you, if you're too aggressive, <laughs> you, know, you could cut someone for stitches. So we haven't come across that yet. But <laughs> then I, you get a penalty. It's a good idea. You could. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fouls one could make with a no stick. Kidding. I, I know. love it. It, it. Even the bend of the stick, it, it all makes sense. <laughs> um, oh, can you give us a, a recap, uh, Yvonne, of what we're expecting over the next few days? Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll still have some cloud cover and a few chance, or a few showers popping up for the Fraser Valley. It'll start to clear out, brightening up towards the afternoon. Monday, fantastic. Then it'll be Tuesday and leading in towards Wednesday. We do have some rain moving in. It'll be a touch cooler as well. So a heads up, but by tomorrow afternoon, it should be very pleasant.